Welcome to episode 209 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with ourselves. This is a very special Design Details episode. People have been asking for this episode for a long time. And to celebrate having basically done four years of episodes over the past two and a half years, we thought it was time to do that thing. Uh, So we asked you all for some questions on Twitter. And Uh, on Spectrum. And I've also just been kind of brainstorming in the back of my head for the last two and a half years some deep and burning questions I had for Bryn. And you didn't ask me? And I didn't ask you. To my face? Yeah, I was pretty shy, actually. Nervous of what you think of me. You're a pretty nice boy, but... Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Cool. So we're going to talk to each other in today's episode. Uh, Answer some of your questions from the internet. Answer some of our questions. We're going to have a nice conversation. Yeah. This is going to be as close as it gets to a a daily Bryn and Brian convo. Interviewing each other. But with less yelling, probably. Yeah. Uh, But before we get into... (laughs) this fascinating insight into uh, the minds of us. Uh, (laughs) We want to thank our sponsors who made this episode possible. I know you didn't sign up for the sponsors, but we appreciate it anyways. First up is Shopify. Shopify is a team that is building tools to help people sell things and like work on their own and do their own thing. And they are hiring a bunch of designers to help them with that. They have over 180 designers already across much of Canada and San Francisco. They're an incredible team doing amazing work. A bunch of our friends work on the team, so we really can't talk highly enough about the team. There's so much you can learn from them. They're publishing a lot of great content on their blog. Uh, That's at ux.shopify.com. On their Medium, on their Twitter, Instagram, giving just an awesome insight and peek into the way their organization thinks about design, the kind of work that they're doing, the stuff that they're releasing. They also put out a really amazing design system called Polaris. You should definitely go check out. Which they've recently Holy implemented shit. across their product, which is it's really uh, beautiful. a pretty damn impressive execution. And they want you to come work with them. This impressive company and group of talented designers wants you to join them. They're looking for content strategists, researchers, UX leads all across their org. They want you to apply. Uh, you can learn more at shopify.com slash careers. If you're interested in building the future for small businesses, online and offline all around the world. This is an awesome opportunity for you. That's it. Shopify.com slash careers. Thanks once again to Shopify. Our second sponsor is Abstract. Abstract, I mean, you've heard about them on the show a bunch of times. We've had most of their founding team on Tim Van Dam, Josh Brewer, Kevin Smith. I mean, we're just kind of working our way through, right? Slow and steady, but they're in beta now. It's a design management tool for the modern design team. So, when I was working, uh, running a design team at Sidewire and at Shop Savvy, just collaborating between sketch files was like impossible. We had so many like staging files. We had things to, we had merge processes that had to go through critique first. There was no like automated way to like manage this stuff. Uh, Abstract has built that thing. It's much more like uh, GitHub or something like that. If you're familiar with uh, GitHub from programming, it's, it's version control in the cloud for your entire design team gives you a source of truth for all of your design files. You can think of it like uh, Finder on a Mac, but for only your design files so that you don't have to dig around looking for the right file at the right time. It's organized really nicely within your organization. You can so, see the entire file history with annotations and why things changed, why they updated. It's it's the traditional programming version control solution, which is a very, pretty good solution applied to design. And that's awesome. And once you get your work into Abstract, you can actually work on the same file at the same time with other designers on your team 
without having to worry about overriding each other's work. Sweet Jesus. Which, dear God, thank you. It's about time. So you never have to worry about losing a version of a file. You never have to worry about that dreaded conflicted copy window popping up on Sketch. Anyone in your team can work on it. Uh, If they also want to fork it and just create a new branch so they can do their own exploration, all in a click of a button on Abstract. So if you don't already have Abstract, you should go check it out. Goabstract.com and you can get more information. Thank you so much to Abstract for supporting the show. This is an awesome tool. They're coming out with rave reviews and you should definitely check it out. Oh, and if you try it now while they're in beta, you get a free month uh, of a demo. Go do that right now. Goabstract.com. Thank you to Abstract. And with that, let's get into episode 209 of the Design Details podcast with us. All right. So you all asked a bunch of good questions on Twitter and Spectrum. I've written them down. I will get to them as I can, but I want this to be like an actual interview and an actual like conversation rather than just like, and this person on Twitter asked this question. Yeah. So, Yeah, because then we'd sound a lot like some other dumb podcasts on the spec network called if you want some garbage like that you can go listen to the first 50 episodes of immutable (laughs) (laughs) featuring Bryn jackson yeah and sam sovis i already do that thing somewhere else i don't need more of it all right let's do it all right brian dale lovin i'm kind of nervous because i'm leaning very far toward you (laughs) you are in the zone brian you're in my zone more specifically don't say that (laughs) All right. Bryn is literally leaning halfway across the table. Brian. I can smell his breath. Brian, you grew up in Evergreen, Colorado. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? (laughs) What was it like? Talk to me about your early childhood. Uh, Evergreen is a small mountain town. Uh, Mountain town? It's a little mountain town. Maybe 40,000 people when I was growing up. Uh, So my high school ended up being like 1,000 people. Um, so relatively small, not the smallest. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty good. Really outdoorsy growing up, snowboarding, fishing, hiking, doing all that kind of stuff. I like grew up in the mountains. Uh, pretty close to Denver? Uh, 45 minutes from Denver. Cool. Yeah. Uh, but grew up uh, mostly outside. Um, so it's been like an interesting life transition where <laughs> now nah, I'm inside. So how did you earn your soft computer hands then? Where, when did that start? kicking in uh so in high school i discovered blogs for the first time i was like in high school you're like hey this blog thing no i I didn't know what a blog was y'all seen these blogs though (laughs) were you like a blog enthusiast so i knew what i knew what like web publications were i knew about Mm -hmm. like dig and uh wired i guess would Mm -hmm. technically be a blog but i felt it was more like a a technical blog yeah. Yeah, yeah like a magazine uh, but I didn't know about personal blogs. And so when I was a sophomore in high school, I discovered personal blogs. What was the the thing that made you realize that that was like a personal thing? Uh, it was AD Pianars who... Oh, shit. He was... Uh, he's the Woo Themes founder. Yeah. He made Woo Themes. Uh, but back in the day, <laughs> I don't know if you would enjoy this, but he went by AD Rockstar, mm. which is back when everyone called themselves Rockstar designers. Ah, yes. And he... Uh, he made WordPress themes and sold them and he sort of blogged a little bit about his life, a little bit about the business side, a little bit about the design and development of the themes. And I just became totally enamored in his work and sort of watched him 
develop a following as he's selling. You were like, WordPress is the future. Yeah, it was amazing. He was building WordPress themes, selling them for a hundred bucks and just selling thousands and thousands of copies. So from the business point of view, I was totally captivated, but also the fact that he was just writing as he went through that process. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Uh, and it inspired me so much that I made my own personal blog. What was the first <laughs> blog post you ever wrote? Uh, I don't know. It's probably like a hello world kind of thing. Uh, but my first blog was called Elite by Design. Wow. Yeah. Brian. And I think it was going to be a portfolio. I don't know. I, I can't even really trace back when were, I got interested. Were you in trying to say that you were elite or what What was the... Oh, I don't even know. I think it just sounded right cool. Uh, elite. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I made a blog called Elite by Design and it ended up being uh, pretty... I was pretty proud of it. Um, I interviewed designers. I published Photoshop tutorials. Mm. I made listicles. Mm. Like <laughs> I think I made one that was uh, 25 high quality Photoshop brushes that are for free or something. And it got on the front page of Dig back in the Dig days. And so, you know, I had traffic. So I probably found that at some point <laughs> yeah, is, yeah, what, yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm saying <laughs> I'm a known quantity. Wow. Just kidding. Uh, so that was in high school. Um, that was really what introduced me to the design world. So I started interviewing people who were doing really great design work. This was like Elliot J. Stocks. Um, like he was sort of mm -hmm. my idol back in the day. Uh, cause you both had that really curly hair. We both had curly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some other folks, uh, like Jason Santa Maria mm -hmm. was certainly one of those people. All these OG people that have Did been around. Did you interview Jason Santa Maria before we interviewed Jason Santa Maria? Maybe. I, I did a bunch of email interviews. It was all over email. I was say, you were holding out on me. I had no idea. Uh, I don't know if I did. Um, who else? Uh, Fabio Sasso, mm -hmm. who did Abdezito. Another, another curly haired dude. It's these curly haired dudes. <laughs> I don't know. Something about us. Um, but by my junior year, uh, I started focusing more on school. Mm hmm. Stopped focusing on the internet stuff. What'd you do in school? Just studied real hard. <laughs> You're a real smart boy. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't say that. I I did study a lot. Your mom was a teacher. My mom was a teacher. How'd that go for you? It's great. My mom was a teacher. She worked at your high school. She worked at my high school. She worked at my elementary school. So I had her as a teacher for maybe four or five years of my life. Took a bunch of classes from her. Smart lady. Shouts, mom. <laughs> Shout out, mom. <laughs> when did you start getting into design more formally? You, you were collecting design-ish stuff. Is that just because the first blog you came across was a design-ish thing? Was there some prior, I don't want to say prior art, but like, was there some indication that that was somewhere you wanted to be involved? It's uh, a good question. I, I mean, I definitely have the same background as a lot of people we've interviewed. Uh, I did Neopets themes, did MySpace themes. Um, that was like the intro to CSS, mm -hmm. that kind of world. Discovering blogs is my intro to pro, I wouldn't say programming, code uh, with WordPress customizations and stuff like that. Our first website was WordPress and yeah. <laughs> our, first, uh, our first show art was still in Photoshop, which Oh, yeah. Kind of tells you how far we've come in two and a half years. <laughs> We're no longer on WordPress. <laughs> or Photoshop. <laughs> or Photoshop. I don't know when it became a thing. I started doing 
client work. Oh, I do remember actually. Uh, my first paid job, I think I made 60 bucks and I made someone uh, display ads on a forum and they paid me 60 bucks and I thought I was fucking rich. It was awesome. How old are you? Uh, 15 maybe. But, it, you know, getting paid through PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even know if that was even the uh, the age. It sounds about right. Age thing. Or if I that mean, was allowed. WordPress. Like, yeah, yeah. But it, Oh, yeah. You weren't, you weren't old I enough I think I was it? allowed to. Did you have to sign up your mom's account? I might have at the time. But yeah, getting paid through WordPress, designing banner ads. Um, I made and sold WordPress themes on Elite by Design through uh, Theme Forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I started doing a little bit of client work locally for business cards and shit, which I can't do. I can't do print work to save my life. So that didn't go very far, but that quickly transi- transitioned to you know help you make a blog or mm-hmm. set up a website or something like that. How did you get into this without formal mentorship? I'm assuming that you didn't have anyone like in your community that was like helping you get into this stuff. Was it just through these blogs and things like that? Uh, yeah. Mostly the internet. I had a really great Photoshop teacher in high school, took a class, uh, but that was mostly just graphic design. Which never took a hold for you. No. That's never been your focus. I suck at it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't really remember. I, I think it was the internet, uh, Twitter, mostly following people's blogs. Mm-hmm. This was back in the day when comments, like people would actually comment on blog posts and have entire conversations in the comment sections of blog posts. You know, uh, this would be 2008, 2009. Um, so that was really how I learned reading tutorials, recreating tutorials. Uh, one of my favorite stories is I recreated the PSD Tuts website from scratch in Photoshop. And then wrote a tutorial on, on how to do it. And oh my God, what's that guy's name? The uh, PSD Tuts tutorial. PSD Tuts. I wrote, you know, PSDTuts.com. Yeah. I, I wrote PSD a tut- tutorial on PSD yeah, Tuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's the guy's name? Cyan? I don't know. Anyways, the founder of PSD Tuts reached out and was like, you jerk. It's like, not stoked. <laughs> you weren't such a nice So that was when I then. learned that unsolicited, uh, tutorials of people's designs wasn't exactly smiled upon so i got some of those lessons pretty early so elite by design was your first like self side project so beyond commercial stuff what was how what was the track record for you to get so involved you've always had a big history of side projects what was that path like for you moving forward uh, I guess every single one's been a blog up until a certain point. Um, Elite by Design was the first one. Then I made webdesigntuts.com. Then I made uh, tutorialist.com. Wow. Right? <laughs> really into tuts. Really into the tuts space. Well, so back then you could actually make a lot of money. You, um, you publishing say you're like the king tut. King tut. You could make a lot of money. Uh, so I did make money. I sold ads on my websites. You're the problem with the internet. I was the problem with the internet. Uh, but I didn't realize it at the time. And then in college, uh, another blog, music blog. But it was during that one that I first started to understand what product meant. Mm-hmm. So up until then, I'd been thinking of blog design as like it's, it's like more the, traditional web design. like It's like the sh- shop front kind of thing. Like it's how you sell the products, not it, y- it wasn't the product. Right, right. 
And then, so I made a music discovery blog in college. And that was that when I, the collection spelled with a K. Two Ks? One K? One K. Okay. K-O-L-L action. <laughs> and so that, that was the first it? time I... Yeah, K-O-L-L action. That's how it's pronounced. Nice. That was the first time I thought about product. Like, how are people using this thing? Is it solving problems of discovery? Is the organization right? Is search working? Uh, we built some really cool stuff there. We built uh, like user accounts where you could go and add songs to a queue and we had you know the persistent bottom player so mm-hmm. you can navigate around the site and add songs to your, your queue, share lists, all this kind of Is stuff. Is that through like Hype Machine or something? It was all WordPress. Like we built everything. Where were the songs stored? Uh, if the artist was giving them away for free, we stored them ourselves on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would just link to their SoundCloud. And then occasionally like a band camp or something. Got it. Uh, so we built some cool stuff. And that was really, uh, I, I stopped caring about the music after a few years. How many people was the collection? Um, so by, at its peak, so that was a cool one. So we started, um, I started writing posts daily in 2010. And by 2011, we had maybe 10 to 15 writers. And by 2012, maybe 50 writers. And these were all, we were all just a bunch of college kids, just interested in music, interested in technology. And it was kind of the right time, right place for that kind of thing to exist. And so we had pretty good traffic. We were selling t-shirts and hoodies and hats. We were throwing concerts. We were uh, interviewing musicians, this kind of stuff. I would say by 2013, 2014, I became less interested in the music publishing side of it, Mm -hmm. mostly because the music industry is horrible to be involved in like <laughs> it's just a nightmare and it's really hard to make money yeah and i became way more interested in the technology of the the thing we were building the product we were building mm-hmm. like how do we actually make this thing usable uh we built mobile apps for a little while that kind of stuff that was like mm-hmm. the hook that really got me sucked into it so what came after collection then uh so after the collection well while i was running the collection uh we were using a social media scheduling tool called Buffer because we were a blog after all. So we had to publish all of our stuff on Twitter and Facebook and we were using Buffer. And so one day I just tweeted, uh, I need to find this tweet at some point. I think I just tweeted at Buffer like, hey, really enjoying using the product. And Joel or Leah, one of the co-founders just happened to be online doing customer support or something. Mm-hmm. Saw my tweet. I just happened to redo my portfolio for some reason. They just happened to have an opening for a design role. So those three things sort of happened at once. And I started working part-time for Buffer my junior year. Of high school. College. College. And that was at Baylor. Baylor University. See, you were in Texas. Uh Still doing the collection. Was anyone else in Colorado? Or was it always remote? Uh, we might've had a couple of writers in Colorado. Yeah. Okay. We had writers all around the country. Who was building it with you? Uh, one of my roommates was a partner. Um, otherwise, uh, I was building everything, I guess. Um, I think I contracted out help for some of the technical aspects. Okay. Yeah, no, I definitely contracted out some of the, mm-hmm. the technical stuff. Yeah. So then you get involved with Buffer. You're working part-time. And then what happened when you graduated? So the thing with Buffer is I 
at that point, I was interested in product, but I didn't know what product design was. Mm. So when I joined, the first things I did was uh, redesign the about page, redesign the contact page. Uh, I designed job listings for them. Sort of these more marketing website design yeah. kinds of things. Yep. Uh, and then over time, I worked my way into this one thing in the product needs some work and and slowly built trust with the team because I was obviously uh, young, didn't really know what I was doing in the product space. But you were a nice boy. But I was nice and that's all that mattered. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, actually, it did help. Uh, Tens, it turns out people actually like nice people. <laughs> it did help. So yeah, I built up that trust over time. Uh, by my senior year, I'd figured out how to get my class load. So I was just taking a couple hours of classes and uh, started working for Buffer full-time my senior year. Around that time, basically stopped working on the collection. That was 2014. Mm -hmm. You started a new side project, which I think came out of the collection somehow. Music? Music? Music. Yeah, that was more product-y. So then we, uh, that was Matt Leonard and I, we built another music side project called Music, Music, but with a V instead of a U. You have a good background with spelling. Yeah, I like misspelling words. Uh, it's a very startup-y thing to do. Mm-hmm. That one was fun. It was... We were basically trying to build like a hype machine. Yeah. Yeah. I used it for a while, though. Cool. Because the first time we met, you were trying to show it off at GitHub, I think. Yeah. I think that was the context. That would make sense. Uh, so you and Matt, had you... You had graduated at that point when you came out here. Yeah, so Were you living here then. So I graduated. I was working for Buffer full time. They have a distributed team, but uh, Joel was here, Leo was here, Sunil, Carolyn, Andy, a bunch of the early employees were mm-hmm. all here. They had an office. So I graduated, moved out here a week later. Uh, this was, I think, mid twenty fourteen. Yep, yep. And I moved out June first that year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what was it crazy? What was your intention with that? You were already working at Buffer full time. So what was, what were you trying to make of that? Just side uh, project being, or? Oh, of music? Yeah. Uh, yeah, just side project. Okay. Just, just for funsies. So as you scaled up at Buffer, right? As you were building trust, you'd graduated. Were there certain things you found were exceptionally difficult for you to learn? Were there places where being the only designer, you didn't have, much support and you struggled i mean i definitely had support uh i worked a lot with joel and andy andy was uh and still does ios there uh joel's the founder one of the co-founders uh a lot of the engineers there gave me support so they totally warmly welcomed me into contributing code so i wrote a lot of css html i learned some php learned some backbone all this random shit wrote email templates <laughs> like i mean those are whatever, kind of whatever i could execute on yeah a lot of those are traditional design jobs php and backbone less so yeah how did you see the overlap there between design and code i felt like i would be the most effective if i didn't have to wait for other people and so i i don't know if that actually ended up working out cuz i had to get help for a lot of the more complicated stuff, just you know, getting introduced to the code base and stuff. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I'd, I ended up becoming more effective because I was able to ship the small things or noticing bugs and being able to just commit the changes really quick uh, or like layout bugs, not 
not necessarily feature bugs. Um, so I would say it was coding light. Like I could do a lot of the visual stuff and, and remove a lot of that shit that nobody else really wanted to worry about or didn't, I didn't feel like they needed to worry about that because I, I could take care of it. At the same time, it was an awesome learning opportunity because you get to sit next to an engineer and have them walk you through the logic of the way user accounts work or the way we've set up the models and like what the data structure looks like on the back end. Uh, I sat down with the CTO and he walked me through the whole stack. Like here's how... Sunil? Sunil. So he walked me through the whole stack. Here's here's the way data flows. Here's how the cron job works. Like all this stuff, which uh, at the time I probably barely understood any of it, but it was getting this primer of mm-hmm. a lot of topics at once from people that know what they're talking you about. You have at least like kind of a mental map of how things work yeah. to some degree, even yeah. if you don't know the details. Yeah, so that was helpful. Um, maybe not in day-to-day work at the time, but just in the way, understanding the way the product worked at its foundation was helpful, I think. What inspired you to leave? That sounds like a pretty sweet gig. It was a sweet gig. Buffer's awesome. You were remote. You got to try some experimental sleep pattern stuff Mm -hmm. because the hours didn't necessarily matter. I went two weeks sleeping four hours a night. Watching you do that was brutal. (laughs) It was exhausting just looking at you. Yeah, I was a tired man. Tired boy. (laughs) Uh, What inspired you to leave that So Buffer was amazing in that they took a bet on me. They, yeah, is that the saying? Took a risk on me. Take a chance on me. Took a chance on me. Uh, that being said, I was the only designer there for the time I was there. By the end, we brought on a second designer. Mm-hmm. Um, we were hiring, trying to hire more designers. Um, but if I was honest with myself, I was very new. Mm-hmm still trying to figure out the fundamentals, like the right process and this kind of stuff. And I didn't feel like I had other experienced people to lean on day to day. But quick, I Quick aside. Yeah. How important is process to you now? Mm. I think people get hung up on that and I want to know how it actually like plays into your day to day. I think people get hung up on it. For me, it plays into day-to-day because I realize when I'm doing stuff that's really bad. Like, I realize that I shouldn't be worrying about pixel nudging my layout when I haven't even figured out if I'm showing the right information on the screen. And I always fuck that up. I always get way too focused on that. so easy. Like, is everything aligned properly? Am I Mm -hmm. on the grid? Um so at the high level, that process is good. Um, just making sure you're doing the the high level bucket stuff in the right order, like research first, understand the problem first, make sure you have the right information on screen first, that kind of stuff. So I didn't feel like I was maybe learning that kind of stuff as fast as I could be in an alternate scenario where I had a manager, I had a team of more experienced people around me. So it was a little bit of that. Um, Buffer is a remote company, mm-hmm. which uh, you know they talk about this a lot publicly. There are pros and cons to it. The pros are, I think, pretty clear. You have a ton of freedom of location, of lifestyle, uh, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And they're very generous with, with how they treat people. 
the the downsides of remote work <laughs> are like literally just the inverse effects of that, right? So everyone's separated. So you don't go to an office. You don't sit around the same people every day. You don't go to lunch with the same people every day. Um, and so for me, I started to get a little bit lonely towards the end. Uh, people started moving out of San Francisco. Most of the founding team moved away to DC or New York or wherever it was. We started going to lunch more and more. Yeah, we started hanging out more. Uh, I think Andy and I were the last two people in the office. Mm-hmm. And so he and I would grab Leo lunch. was in there for a while. He was there for a while. So I guess personally, I just got a little bit lonely. So it was the professional work, the side effects of remote work for me. And then uh, I got a job offer from Facebook. And so those three things collided and that's when I decided to leave. Facebook didn't come out of nowhere. Came through the podcast. Did or did you not reach out to them? Uh, We interviewed someone that worked at Facebook and one of them put me in the referral tool and then they reached out. I interviewed, did the onsite, that whole thing. And you built my favorite portfolio uh-huh. for this one thing. Yeah. And then you took it down. Uh huh. Why did you do that? Which was your one, the one thing? The buffer portfolio? You built a portfolio that was fantastic just for Facebook. And then oh. once you had the job, you took it down. Uh, I took it down because I wanted to make something new on my website. So that's when I redid, uh, I have a design details blog, blog series, separate IP from this podcast. Just kidding. And I started writing a personal journal, uh, Mm -hmm. just a blog. Journal.brianlevin.com? Brianlevin.com slash journal. Mm -hmm. And so anyways, I took the portfolio down because I wanted to make way for the new stuff. And so that was when I was learning like some more coding stuff and wanted to really dig into hosting that kind of content that I wanted to write. So... You mentioned that design details helped you get this Facebook role. Yes, definitely. What was your decision process in starting this thing? I didn't think too much about it at the time, I guess. So you reached out uh, saying we should do, like interview people who are making cool stuff. Based on your blog series. Right. And I think that sounded fun. I had no clue about any of the technical aspects of it. So mm-hmm. how do you do the audio stuff? I didn't want to figure that out. You knew how to do it. So it felt like a good partnership. Uh, otherwise, I didn't. You know, I guess history is maybe getting a little bit lost on me. It's like I can't really remember, but I don't think Mm -hmm. I thought about it too much before we just tried it. We went to Public House one night and basically over the course of some nachos and beer, we figured out what it should be. Uh Were you, was that like a hard sell? I don't remember necessarily. I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. You were kind of like generally interested? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been doing like side mm-hmm. things for forever. So, and it made that sense to be a natural extension of the blog, which I think people enjoyed. I think people told me they got value out of it. Mm-hmm. So it felt like this might be something that people could get value out of. We knew each other for about three total hours uh-huh. before doing this thing. Uh-huh. Before being like, hey, we're going to work together every week. Yeah. For the foreseeable future. Yeah. What were the things that made you regret that decision early on? <laughs> You and I did not necessarily, and even today, we don't really see eye to eye on some stuff. Um, we're pretty different. Yep. I wouldn't say it was a huge, maybe from my point of view, uh, it didn't seem like it was a huge problem ever. I think we argued about stuff and had to learn how to argue with each other about stuff. Um, 
I don't know. What do you think? There's one episode in particular. Oh, yeah. Well, I we feel had very one, bad yeah, for Chloe that Park. one guest. Yes, Chloe yeah. Park. Episode eight. <laughs> so the first four episodes went out. Yeah. We had recorded those in person. And then you were traveling for a month? A month and a half. And so we had to record five, six, and seven yep. remotely. Yep. You were in Shanghai for Cap Watkins episode seven. Yeah. Uh, that's the only one I like really remember because I was sitting in my bed at home and it was the weirdest thing. Anyway, you come back and the first guest is Chloe Park. Yep. And we hadn't seen each other in a month and a half. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you want to tell the story of that? No, go for it. <laughs> that episode took three and a half hours to record. Yeah. Because we just kept bickering. Yeah, we fought a lot. Yeah. I think that... Chloe was a champ. <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate Chloe and the fact that she continued to want to like Hang spend out. time with us at first. Yeah, like, that was great. I couldn't believe it. Very patient person. Yeah, I think, well, so I think anytime you and I took a long break from recording, anytime we came back, we Tension had, we struggled mm-hmm. until maybe last year. I think we solved that. Like we recorded last week for the first time in a month and no problem. Mm-hmm. But we also spend like 100% of our time together now. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, early on, I, I think actually the conflict probably ended up in a good place because my personality is definitely on the like i guess like more naive side like i like asking some naive things or like why do you say naive or like fluffy or like job interviewee or idealistic or stuff and i think you're more straight to the point i think you perceive more paths that's the way i look at it you're a very lateral thinker okay this is my perception yeah purely you consider many more possibilities before you hone in on one and i think that's in everything decision making design work engineering like product decision making whereas i like pick one that's just kind of in my head and just go down that one path yeah so i think that ended up bouncing up pretty well i think it ended up keeping the feel of the show pretty Mm lighthearted. like i don't think we ever took it too seriously except until maybe this episode uh which people i think Tell us it resonated with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we ended up on it in a good place yep. because of that. I don't think either of us on our own would have. It was not natural for us. Yeah, I don't think on, on our own we would have had the same experience. On a similar note, while we're talking about personality stuff, one of the listener questions is, what do you like most about yourself? What do you like least about yourself? Oh, man. How do you talk about this without coming across as cocky? I asked the question. This is not you offering this. I feel like if I can get in the right mindset, I can power my way through lots of things, Mm -hmm. which I like because it's the only way that I've been able to do side projects for Mm -hmm. long periods of time or get big things done in short periods of time. Which you're exceptionally good at. I'm happy to give you that one. Thanks, bud. So yeah, I don't know how you would uh, like bundle that into a a trait. Maybe just like I, f- I like that I can motivate myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I can motivate myself. I think self motivated. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> What's your least favorite? <laughs> What's my least favorite? Thing? I would say I get in my head too much. I get in my own way. Everything from personal interactions 
to thinking about the products that we're building today. I think sometimes I get in my own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is funny because you agree those are very similar but opposite to how I think about myself. I don't get in my head and I appreciate that and I can make decisions quickly. <laughs> I'm not <But laughs> I'm not very self-motivated. Huh. It's almost like we're opposites in every way. <laughs> um what was the most valuable thing you learned at Facebook? I would say the most valuable thing I learned at Facebook was having a little bit of self-confidence. What does that mean? When I started there, I had did not have self-confidence. Or Correct. at least maybe I thought I did. I recall this time. And then I got in there and I was like, fuck, I don't know what I'm doing. I suck. Like, I remember my early work there. I recall this time like, too. Oh my God. It was awful. I was pretty stressed. And I got that feedback from people, uh, especially like getting that feedback from managers is pretty challenging. It took me five months, maybe four or five months to get my first like dose of confidence from. I think shipping something that did okay or like worked, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I shipped something that moved a metric double digits per cents, which it was a small number, but like it felt good. Um, double digits percentages at Facebook scale. Well, it, <laughs> it was not a Facebook scale number, but it was it was a win. It was enough yeah. win to for me to be like, okay, like I can do a thing. I took on this product space that I don't know well. Yeah more or less by yourself for a while. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. No? I had lots of support, yeah. See, from the outside, I heard more of the loneliness once you got there than beforehand. Mm. Maybe. it By six months in, we definitely had, had a okay. great team. Um, anyways, I think that's the biggest thing I learned. And it can be dangerous if you take that too far because... I have to recognize the things I'm not good at, the mm-hmm. things that uh, I suck at and that I shouldn't do. Um, but at the same time, the confidence is valuable because it builds momentum. It fuels my like self-motivation thing. Like mm-hmm. If I feel confident that I can do the thing, I will push myself further, longer. Um, yeah, I guess that's the, the thing that I've taken away the most. And I wouldn't say I'm still a confident designer but I had enough doses of it at Facebook that I don't feel totally incompetent. I feel like you're confident. I wouldn't get that conflated with ego. Okay. Like you're maybe the least egotistical designer I know. Cool. But you're very direct and sound confident when you present something. <laughs> no, that's... Sounding confident. Yeah, sounding confident is a very different skill. Yeah. Okay. You don't work at Facebook anymore. Why'd you leave? This might be the hardest question. No? No. Uh, I left to work on a new thing. Were you ready to leave? So leaving Facebook uh, is a lot. Okay, so first of all, we should add a lot of disclaimers. One, I wasn't there that long. I was there a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I... didn't and I, I was there later in the company stage. I didn't feel quite maybe as invested in the company as maybe mm-hmm. someone that was there earlier. Uh, How many designers were there? There was a few hundred um, when I left. I think I don't actually know the number. 
So anyways, there's there's some caveats to that. But anyways, about a year and a half in, we started working on what is called Spectrum now. And anyways, leaving was challenging because even after a year and a half, I still felt like a really supportive team, tons of smart people working on challenging problems. They treat you well. You get free food. Like there's so many perks, it's hard to leave. Uh, at the end of the day, what was happening was I would wake up at three in the morning thinking of Spectrum, pull out my notebook and like just start working in the middle of the night. I would daydream about it in meetings. I would daydream about it on the shuttle. I would get home at night and come to your place. We would work on Spectrum until we recorded a design details episode. We'd record and then we would work on Spectrum more until like 11 or something. Midnight, whatever. Rinse and repeat. And we did that enough days in a row that it was like, it was. we I just have to do think this Think about three and a half weeks. Yeah, maybe. It was, a, it was a couple weeks of that level of, I can't stop thinking about this set of problems mm-hmm. um, that we decided it made sense. So leaving was hard. Mm-hmm. Facebook treated me very well. But it also felt like a good thing to leave for think in the grand scheme of things versus like a higher paycheck somewhere else or something like something that maybe is a little bit more nothing wrong with it but it's just driven by a different set of motivations than i think what what we ended up leaving our jobs for what's happening with all your side projects while you're doing spectrum they're dead (laughs) how about you well i still have this podcast (laughs) oh yeah this is the only and and another one uh, yeah, just put them on hold. This is the most important thing. Do you think that will always be the case? For the foreseeable future, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. This is the most important thing. Got to put all of our energy into it. Uh, side projects, if it was tangential to what we're doing now, I don't even know if I could even justify spending any time doing anything else. Uh, so yeah, side projects on hold. Got to do the thing. Okay, you're you're in this job. Okay. You're starting a company from scratch. Yep. What do you hate most about your job? Serious answer or silly answer? Silly first, then serious. I don't have a silly answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say something mean about you, but. Yeah, I know. I kind of tried to break that. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get a chance to say something mean about me shortly. I'm having a hard time coming up with things that I hate about this job because I like most things about this job. Do you think that's a honeymoon period or is it the right set of problems? Possibly. Possibly both. Um, Possibly a honeymoon period. We're only five months in. So who knows what this looks like in a year. I would say honeymoon periods typically don't last this long in my experience, at least at my last couple gigs. Have you ever been on a honeymoon though? I mean, come on. They can last as long as I have not been on a honeymoon. So what do you know? A honeymoon proper. I don't know. I love what we're doing. Okay. Uh, there's stuff that is hard as shit, stuff that makes me, <laughs> shakes my confidence to the core. Uh-huh. But I love it. That's good. What's the hardest part about working with me <laughs> to build a company? <laughs> mm. I think you and I see things having very different degrees of importance at very different times. Yeah. They always seem to circle around and end up in a good spot. 
but in the moments when I feel like we're disconnected on priority or mostly priority, Mm -hmm. um, that's when I feel the most tension towards our work together. Mm -hmm. And then I give it a week and we end up in a good spot. I feel like you and I, we use this metaphor a lot in our work of a pendulum. Mm -hmm. We end up being on polar opposite sides and the solution swings back and forth between us for a while. Yeah. And then we tend to end up in a really good place. I hope so. Yeah. That's how it's felt. Uh, So I don't. We start from opposite opinions. I just jump to the first one and you're like, wait, wait, wait. But this other thing. Yeah. So I think we have pretty healthy arguments. I don't feel like we've ever had an unhealthy fight. We don't let anything be subjective. Try to. Go on. I don't think we, well, we try to not have it be subjective, right? I think that takes effort. Our, our arguments can't be subjective. Yeah, yeah, but that's hard to do. And hard to even subjectively or objectively analyze whether your argument was objective, mm-hmm. right? I think we try. You've been in San Francisco for two years? Three years. Three years? Yeah. Do you consider yourself an escapee of flyover America? Do you feel like you found your people? (laughs) Okay, well, those are different questions. Uh, I feel like I found a group of people that I can connect with and enjoy working with and enjoy being around in a place that I enjoy living in with access to things I like doing. Would you enjoy living in Evergreen right now? But I would not enjoy living in Evergreen right now. Uh, So I think escapee implies that Colorado was a prison. I don't think it was a prison. It was just different and... There's obviously like some design culture there. There's lots of startups in Boulder, some stuff, cool stuff happening in Denver. That being said, I'm pretty happy being here now. I understand, I I do understand the reasons why people wouldn't want to come to the Bay Area. Do you feel like there are aspects of where you grew up that made you a better designer? I feel like most people in SF could probably say the same thing, but because most people are from outside of here. But I do know that it has been helpful to have friends and family that are very different and think very differently about the world that lives in the back of my mind when I'm building stuff. Like, kind of checking myself to make sure I'm building something that someone outside of the Bay Area cares about or somebody that doesn't use Twitter would care about, right? Um, so I guess there are people who don't use Twitter, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's surprising. So I guess it's been helpful in that way. Um, but I suppose most people in the Bay area could reasonably claim that, right? Mm -hmm. Being here in SF where it can be notoriously elitist, something like that. And there's, do you think so? I think it can. What keeps you so nice? <laughs> uh, that wasn't when I thought you were going to ask that. Uh, probably my parents set a pretty good example of what being nice is. You've met my parents. They're very loving. <laughs> they are very loving. Yeah, probably just by example there. Um, and your mom's on Twitter, so... My mom's on Twitter and has called me out for some shit around the family dinner table for things I've said on it Twitter. It is very great. <laughs> so that is also in the back of my head. Linda Lovin is my hero. Yeah, she's great. Yeah, I I don't know. Like the whole nice boy thing has become 
an amusing joke. Brand. Uh, <laughs> it's your personal brand. I guess. I don't know that that's a good thing. Tara Mann, I think, was the first person to say nice I was actually going to ask. Was it Tara that... I think so. I think that was in her episode with Katie Jew. Okay. Nice boy. Uh, what keeps me nice? Well, I think we were asking what our personal brands were, and she said nice boy TM. And then you changed your Twitter bio on the spot. That must have been it. I'm like 99% sure. Yeah. That actually sounds right. I don't know. People, I have a people assume that I never get angry. People that assume that I'm always nice. Uh, I would say neither of those are true things. Yeah, I can validate that. I get angry. At me. I, believe it or not, have done some not nice things in my life. Uh, But I try to be, I try to be nice because I know that it's important and I think people remember nice people. I think there's more to it than nice. I think you're one of the most thoughtful and caring people I've met. Buddy. You care a lot about people you've never met before. Um, You are the first person who runs to grab a door for a person or help them with groceries <laughs> that, was that, you've embarrassing, ne- that you have never met in your life. The other day I ran to grab a door for a person as like four other people ran to grab the door for this person. So then I didn't make it and we all just kind of like awkwardly <laughs> walked away. Bryn was just shaking his head at me. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a good thing. Thanks. I appreciate the compliment. Now, the most important question. Yo. What Pokemon are you? Oh, shit. I didn't even prepare. I think Charmander and his evolutionary tree resonate deeply with me. Mostly because I played... Red Red version was my game. Before Before Charizard became like dragon and fire instead of flying and fire? Or is it flying and fire? Get out of here. I don't know that shit. I just know that I played Pokemon Red as a kid, and that was the that was the one I owned. That was the one I beat. That was the one I got like every thing. Okay, every I think most Pokemon I got to level ninety nine. Rare candy hacking, obviously. Yeah, uh, missing no. Yeah. So yeah, that's my answer. <laughs> just Charmander end up Charmander plus Charmander plus plus. plus. Yes. <laughs> God damn it. Laugh burp. <laughs> Lurp. All right. That is all my questions for you, Brian. Okay. You have survived. I oh. Hope, I hope anyone's still. It has been 208 episodes. This is 209. What keeps you going after 200 episodes? Uh, we can talk about this one together. Uh, the podcast doesn't really feel like work, except for the one hour of week per week that it is work um so it's just not something that well first of all it's fun right like we get to meet rad people just have coffee hang out ask people questions i don't think the episode is work the, the scheduling is the work. scheduling is the work part that takes like an hour a week right it took me forever to book you for this <sighs> i know um that's the other thing too I, I was gonna say about what we're doing with spectrum is when you're asked like what's the thing that you like the least about it I think momentum is really fucking hard to keep up with Mm -hmm. anything. Yeah. Working out, dieting, especially building product, and especially building product when it's a team of three and you're all counting on each other to keep the momentum up. 
with design details, we have two and a half years of momentum built up to the point that it feels pretty easy. Like we're an object in motion. I don't feel like we have too many cold starts that take a lot of effort to like get that going again. Mm-hmm. So each additional episode feels just like a pretty natural cycle that we've gotten ourselves into over the two and a half years. And I think a huge piece of that is we've never missed a week. I think if we'd missed one week, we would have that as an escape hatch in the back of our heads, mm-hmm. but we've never missed a week. And so we come up with creative ways to not miss a week. When do you want to end it? I don't know. That's the problem. That's the opposite problem, right? Is mm-hmm. when does that momentum hit a wall, if ever? How, when how should do you, you slow it should... down versus getting crushed? I would rather not slow it down. I'd rather just put up a wall and like go out in a burst of flames and be like, that was awesome. Versus a Charizard getting smashed against a wall is just going to be a burst of flames. Yeah, bloody but awesome. I would rather have that than just slow down and then stop. That's. Mm -hmm. I'll come around and ask you the same questions. Where are you from? So I grew up in in and around a small town in Minnesota called Mankato. Means blue sky and tinted water. Just tell me more. Obviously, that was the important fact. Uh, uh, until I was about eight, I grew up in a town called North Mankato, and from eight to I think nineteen, I lived in a very small town called of like twelve hundred people called Madison Lake. Um, actually, lived just outside it. We bought a house on a lake when I was little. Built our own house. Um, my dad still lives there. It's just a very like rural spot, but that's where we grew up. I was homeschooled a lot because everything, uh, Mankato was maybe 15 minutes away from there uh, each way, which is a lot of work to get kids to school and go to work and everything like that. So we were just homeschooled. We just lived there. It was a pretty, um, I'd say lonely childhood because my brother and sister and I were all very competitive with each other. We weren't people who were like close friends or anything like that. We competed on school. That was probably the most important thing at the time. Uh, our family always put a high priority on academic endeavors. So we were all, when we went to school, which was, uh, I think my first year in a private school was third grade, fourth grade. And then I went to a public school for sixth and seventh. And then a private school again for eighth and ninth. And 10th and then I was homeschooled again and then I went to high school and then I graduated like so uh, you bounced around I graduated halfway through my 11th grade year okay um just because I'd gotten so much done in homeschool did you get interested in design while you were being homeschooled I had a lot of free time because my schoolwork was not time delimited I didn't have to like set do set school hours so I'd goof around on a computer I'd play games mm-hmm. I would um we, we built our house. So like either a lot of my time was spent doing like plumbing work or electrical work or taking care of dogs. We, we raised collies. So we had like 23 dogs at one point. That's the number I quote a lot That's because that, that was dogs, the highest man. number. We had 13 full grown dogs at that point and yeah. 10 puppies. Um, cause we had two litters that came at the same time Yeah, from my dog and my little brother's dog. Yeah. So when did you get into design? I recently recovered some photos from my dad's computer. I bought him a Dropbox account and had him upload all of our like photos as a kid. And among those were Photoshop tutorials that I had completed, like oh. putting flames on a car, yeah, <laughs> which was a Ferrari F430 <laughs> uh-huh. with the worst looking flames in the world. Good looks. Uh, I did a bunch of like planet uh, tutorials, things like that. 
Did you um, do the exploding planet tutorial? I didn't do that one. No. You know what I'm talking about though, right? I do, of course. Um, I did a lot of Photoshop tutorials. I was on Abduzito like 100% of the time after yep. I discovered that. I kept telling my dad about it. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh-huh. I remember him being like, what the hell's an Abduzito? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it means abducted by design, dad. Yeah, dad, get with it and go study Portuguese while you're at it. And so I got pretty into MySpace shortly after that and making themes for my own. Um, that was your own band, my, MySpace, or your profile. I mean, band in the singular sense does not work for describing my high school experience. Every other day, there was a new band that meant nothing. Uh, I say that in quotes very dramatically. Did you guys even tour? So when I was in private school, uh, we had a pretty um, strong music program where it was, I mean, it was a private religious school. And so there were like, I don't know, I was on the band, basically. And so we played every Wednesday morning and I played bass. That was my first instrument mm-hmm. that I got into. And that was because my best friend played electric guitar and we wanted to play together. So I picked the thing that like worked with his thing. I'm um, noticing a pattern. Over time, we got into uh, piano, drums. I played trumpet in sixth grade. So like I used that sometimes. Um, when I turned 16, 15, my dad got me a recording rig. Um for Christmas. It was actually supposed to be my brother's and mine, but my little brother didn't care about it. So I had it. <laughs> it was pretty great. Started recording with my friends in my bedroom. Uh, I would lean my mattress up against the wall and hang blankets all around the room, throw pillows around, open my closet door. So like all my clothes were like exposed yeah, yeah, yeah. to absorb stuff. Absorb sound. Yeah. Um, and we would just jam in there very loudly. <laughs> it was... Your parents loved you. Uh, they, they actually really enjoyed it. My mom's a musician too. My dad, uh, was a, um, I don't want to say pro, but he, he was a trumpet performer for a long time, which is how I got into trumpet. Um, my mom was a singer. She played piano really well. Um, and so it was always a music family that was never concerned. My sister played the flute. Um, my brother tried playing drums and piano. Um, he was also a pretty musical family. Jesus. Yeah. Um, a long way back. My grandpa played guitar. That's how I first got into guitar. Like it was just always that way. Um, so when I got recording stuff, that was like a special thing that no one else in the family did. It was like know how to record using a computer. Um, so I got really obsessed with that and doing um, MIDI production work and things like that. I ended up going to college for that. Just At first I wanted to uh, go for automotive engineering because I really loved cars and I really wanted to like design cars. And putting uh, flames on them and... <laughs> I read about this family called Pininfarina um, that my, my aunt got me this book about the Pininfarina family and I obsessed over them for the longest time. Like all my passwords were like names of the Pininfarina family and everything. Like it was just a thing for me. They, they were the coach builders who built some of the classic Ferraris, um, Cesar Italias, like these amazing cars that were just like beautiful to look at. Like, you felt it in your like body when you looked at them. You're like, Oh my God, that's so pretty. Like, how does that thing exist? They inspired passwords around the world. So I, I worked with, uh, my eventual brother-in-law and we would work on cars for, um, low income families. Um, if they had car problems, we would fix them. 
he had like a group of people around him uh, and a local garage owner. So we'd work on cars. I got really obsessed with that. Then graduated, went to school, wanted to do automotive engineering, hated my very first class. Yeah. Like the first one. I can't remember his last name. My teacher's <laughs> name was Harry. Um, Find him, guys. But Go- guys and my girls. God, I just like, I hated that class so much. Yeah. Um, and m- my best friend who played electric guitar had gotten into music industry, which is a program that for some reason, Mankato State University uh, had a very good program in at the time. Um, it's crazy that one bad class can change such a uh, trajectory in such a dramatic way. I think it was just not what I expected. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is not what I was thinking it was. Hard pass. Um, but I also love music. Like I was yeah. doing this thing for a while sure. and I thought I had a leg up because I had been doing all this like audio engineering work for a while. Um, so I dove really deep into that. Um, I actually ran the recording studio service for the college for a while. Um, did you ever, uh, run a radio show? I did. What was your DJ? Are you familiar with this? I've heard of it. Uh, I did not have a DJ name. That's horseshit. No, I I absolutely did not. That was not for this. DJ Brittany Brin? There was a show that I did with my eventual wife and another person called the Fancy Sauce Hip Hop Show. (laughs) I have not heard this. Yeah. (laughs) The Fancy Sauce Hip Hop Show. Which uh, my friend worked for Rhyme Sayers, um, you know, Atmosphere and uh, I mean, Slug Idea. Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. His name's Alex. And we made a hip hop show, the three of us. And we just like, we're like, we just mostly played atmosphere. <laughs> uh, we took request calls, which yeah. we set up over this like crazy, terrible phone line service. And we would stream over like VLC. So like, you could put a stream URL into VLC and play. Like it was the worst way possible to uh-huh. like have a radio show. But like that's how we did all of them at the time um, for, for this college. College radio is garbage by the way. Um, okay, I never listened to college radio once in my life. Yeah, it's, n- it's it. not worth doing. I don't get but it. But there was a college radio station there called KRS, um, which is Cato Radio Service or something like that. Every- everyone calls Mankato Cato. Um, and so we did the show for a little bit. I don't think we did it very long. I think it was like a couple months just because we were trying to like do a radio thing at the college. Um, eventually, I also got an internship at a local recording studio called Two Fish, uh, and I also started DJing for local parties where they gave me the DJ name DJ Brinny Brin, yes. which is just the worst the DJ name in the world. The best DJ name I've ever heard. I think that was at the time when it was shortly after Drake came out. Actually, I was at a concert. Uh, I went to the 2008 I Am Music Tour with Lil Wayne, T-Pain, uh-huh. Carrie Hilson, yeah. and Aubrey Graham, this who later like, became Drake. This sounds like 2008. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he started calling himself Drizzy Drake shortly after that. And I honestly think that Bernie Brin was like a play a, on that. A pretty huge inspiration for Drake. Yeah, obviously. You were, yeah. Um, no, not that thing. But it paid really well when I was in college because yep. it was like 200 bucks an hour and I did like nothing. Yeah. I also designed their logo though. And I was working in this recording studio. I was basically in between sessions. I was vacuuming the floor, cleaning toilets, uh, setting up mics, testing equipment, making sure everything was taken care of, fixing old Macs, um, wiring things, fixing old tape machines, um, and getting paid in beer. Because I was 19, and they had no money. Because <laughs> the music business is <laughs> and not And they great. also had no ethics or legal compliance, among other things. 
Yeah, shout out two fish. Um, <laughs> they're they're gone now. There's nothing there. Sweet, nothing to get in trouble over. Yeah. Great. Uh, we got to work with some pretty cool artists. That was pretty yeah. fun. Got to do some live shows and stuff with artists I looked up to, and yeah, uh, among those other things, the vacuuming and all that, I started making MySpace headers yeah. for bands and uh, posters and things like that. That's how I got into design. I'd say that was a very long story to get to there. Did you f- finish college? no why not i dropped out three years in uh, maybe three and a half why um jesus you almost made it i moved out of my parents house okay as long as i lived at my parents house i had college for free um my parents are pretty well off and they were going to take care of it as long as i basically wasn't like getting into trouble that's very good and once i moved out uh they stopped paying for college and i was working at lowe's from 4 a.m to noon every day so i could go work at the recording studio all day yep and they didn't like that so they stopped paying and i didn't want to go into debt so i dropped out damn yeah so what'd you do uh i worked at lowe's for a while um (laughs) i got married i sold all my musical equipment to fund my wedding and then i got a job working it because i'd been working on like all these old computers in the back room of the recording studio they were all mac pros like all of them were like g5 mac pros they need a Mac person at this company. I knew Macs pretty well. So they hired me to, uh, right after I moved to that team, the person who'd been there for forever left. So I was administrating basically 1,200 Macs by myself across 88 companies Jesus. all over the world. That was a shit show. Mm-hmm. Sounds like it. Um, but because of that, I had to start doing basically product work. Like the fixes I did had to basically be forever or they had to have a way to fix them themselves again which was usually just software problems so scripting like apple script um i got very friendly with apple script so here here's this file do it yourself like just click on this thing um and i did that for the right person at the right time and they're like oh hey i'm working on this project you can do this thing do you want to do it for me um and so i started working on an iPad app for salespeople for print work. So this was in 2011? This was 2009, 2010? iPad came out in 2010. So 2010? 2010. Um, did it really come out in 2010? Yeah, dude. Crazy. Right. I remember watching that show. Wow. I did not expect them to call it iPad. So you got a gig doing software design. Yes. Um, and that thing went down in flames. There was no one to actually run it. No one had ever made anything for iOS before at this company. It was all like old school web style stuff. Everything was .NET. Everything was JSX. Like it was JSX. Yeah, it was not fun. Wait. Sorry, everything was JSP. JSP, like not homie. JSX. JSP. <laughs> gotcha. Um, it was not forward thinking. Um. So that, as, that went down in flames. Steve would say. I just went back to doing IT stuff. And then one of the people who had been on that project um, was like, hey, we need a designer. You showed interest in this thing. You actually kind of knew what you were doing. Do you want to do this for us full time? And I started building invita- wedding invitation and holiday card personalizers for a bunch of big companies. Um, Michael's Craft Stores, Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, David's Bridal. Like it was that looked so good on my resume but was like such little work because it was all the same thing just slightly brand customized 
Was that um, rewarding work at all? It was really hard. I spent a lot of time doing like the corporate politics stuff. This company is thousands and thousands of people. Um, I got some benefit because my dad worked there. Um, so I, I had some like benefit of the doubt. I was a very cocky person though, which was not in my best interest. Um, hmm. I learned a lot from being that way around people who were actually trying to get stuff done. People told you you were cocky? Yeah, it wasn't a secret. Uh, it was pretty rough, but I learned a lot. Um, when you come into anything with a um, rock star mentality on your first try. WordPress rock star mentality. It's not very good. Um, Accurate. And I literally thought I was going to be a rock star one day, so I fully had that. Like, I was a musician who played live constantly and, yeah. like, was learning a lot, and I thought I was going to do that, and then I suddenly didn't. Yeah. And I kept the ego anyway. Uh which was not a good move for me. Hmm. So I learned a lot. I was basically working for their business development person because I was working with all the clients. And then this company had been hemorrhaging money for probably three, four years at this point, um, 2010, and they're in the print industry. Um, so I was asked to be a business analyst instead of a designer because they no longer wanted to work on these client projects and the, they couldn't justify a UX designer. So I uh, was sent out here for training, mm -hmm. hit up everyone that I looked up to on Twitter mm -hmm. and went to their offices with six packs of beer uh -huh. and was hired a few months later. <laughs> Hardware. Shop Savvy by Jeff Broderick, who nice. was my favorite visual designer at the time. Yeah. Incredible visual designer. He's very good. Uh, so he hired me out here. So I was like, your first proper tech startup gig. Yeah. So I was there for two and a half years. So th that first project was like right after the iPad came out. Yeah. Um, I think I joined the team officially at this other company. Um, 2011. Okay. It, it had to have been mid 2010 though. Because I was there for a couple of years and I moved to San Francisco in late 2013. Mm -hmm. November. Mm-hmm. December 1st? It was, I left the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I left yeah. Minnesota in a U-Haul yeah. the day after Thanksgiving. And you stayed at Shop Savvy for two and a half years? I, sh I stayed at Shop Savvy for just over a year. I shaved at Shop Savvy for... Stayed at Shop Savvy for just over a year. Just over a year? Yeah. So my boss left about seven or eight months in. I was the only designer for a while, um, which led to a whole bunch of learning. Um, like I, I started sitting in between the iOS and Android engineer. Most of our product was iOS or Android. Yep. Um, I wrote a lot of the web app side, like yep. the front end stuff. Um, so I just spent time with them learning what they wanted for their platform and like what their view of it was. And that helped so much in determining like how I built products for mobile. I can't recommend it enough. Like sit, just sitting between the devs was like the best thing I could have done. Yeah, They're determining how we do things cross platform and I'm just sort of right in the middle. Like it was perfect. Uh, I left. Were you confident in your design skills at the time? Uh, no, not at all. Um, especially when I first started working with Jeff. Um, the visual work I tried to do was nowhere near his and I didn't know why. Um, he taught me a lot out? of things about it um, around consistency and scale and proportion and um, pixel fitting is like the thing I always bring up because um, I, I just didn't know it was a thing that existed. Yeah. Um, 
the first project he gave me was icon work and i was i clearly had no business doing this work um so i learned a lot from that right away my last project at sidewire or sorry at shop savvy was also illustration work uh-huh and it was a bunch of category icons and, and uh, at that point i thought like hey like i could actually like do this thing and you've become very good at icons thank you it's something i really enjoy I, I think, think we but, get a lot of compliments on the icons. So I worked really hard on them, so I'm glad. Yes. <laughs> you give me a lot of shit for that. I As, do. You did it first, at least. I did. Yeah, I did. Why'd you leave Shop Savvy? Oh, so your boss left? Yep. Um, uh, so well, I stayed there for yeah. four to six months afterwards. I can't really remember. Then what happened? Uh, we started the show two weeks in. after. The Wait, f- we started the show while you were at Shop Savvy? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, the The... Before that, I started another project with our friend Michael Schultz. Yep. Uh, who I was showing. Who's been on the show twice. I was showing that project to Mark Otto at Twitter. Yep. Um, and. Who's also been on the show. Yeah. Af- after that, um, my boss told me I shouldn't be working on side projects. That the shop savvy should be my first priority. And that did not sit well with me at all. Um, I didn't feel like part of the team there necessarily. And then I started design details and he came back to me. He was like, shop savvy should be your first priority. You shouldn't be doing side projects. Things like that. Like I want you to like be spending all your time on shop savvy. So two episodes in after the Nick Slater one, uh, I was hit up by our friend, Sam Sophus, who was on the first episode saying, Hey, uh, my brother-in-law works at this little company <laughs> The CEO listened to your episode, wants to talk. Do you want to check it out? Ah, so you got your gig through Design Details. I yes. guess I didn't know that he had heard you through that. The fact that he had listened to it yeah. was very meaningful to me at the time. It was yeah. like, okay. I felt like support of a side project from the get-go. I might remember that, yeah. They were very um, supportive yeah. from the first. Andy Bromberg yeah. it was the CEO there, and I still... He's always like, been supportive, yeah. He's been incredible to That's work awesome. with. Um, so... Yeah, I joined there. I was their first designer. Uh, hired Michael there as well because um, we got good work done together. And yeah. How long did you stay at Sidebar? I stayed there about a year and a half, I think. All right. Uh, and then I left to join Figma because Figma asked me to take this role. I was, I was kind of unhappy there. I was working on a product I didn't necessarily relate to. It was about uh, political news and it just everything was happening with the election and like, I just couldn't stand staring at Donald Trump every day. And it's just very stressful to me. So that is a very stressful endeavor. Um, yeah. It already wasn't something I necessarily related to. Yeah. It just got to the point where like, I didn't want to be there anymore. Um, I was hanging out with the Figma team a lot, giving them feedback. And eventually they were like, Hey, do you want to do this thing for us? Which was a designer advocate role. Yeah. Um, which. So you became. I wasn't design, a designer. You became designer adjacent. Yeah. How'd that feel? That stressed me out a lot. And wow. I had kind of a crisis of identity about it uh-huh. because I didn't feel like I was contributing to the product every day. I was basically promoting it. It felt very salesy. Um, Do you have that same crisis of identity today? No. Why not? I think I didn't have good context for why it was important until I needed to do it for my own thing. It didn't like... Now I realize that it's something that contributes maybe the most to a product, but I struggled with it at the time because I was like, so much of my identity was tied up in being a designer. What do I do now? Um, What do you identify as now? Bryn. (laughs) I'm my own self. I I still 
like if people ask me what do you do i say i'm a designer um but i think that's just habit yeah yeah um i also think of myself as an engineer I'm, a lot of times co-founding <laughs> it, it doesn't really matter i i run a company like yeah, yeah. kind of <laughs> i don't know um do you feel like does it feel better to not have your identity tied up as a designer or do you feel like having an identity in design was a useful thing for you and that have not having it anymore is actually maybe a negative to I, communicating with people about the kinds of things that you do? I say I'm traditionally a designer now, I guess. I think that's something I've said a lot lately. Um, I kind of roll my eyes at how dogmatic I was about design at the time and realized that I was missing a lot of the point. Um, I think that's something that people tend to do quite often, especially in design where there's like this dogmatic, like design is inherently valuable, but a lot of people can't enunciate why, except for that they care about the users. But guess what? Everyone on your team cares about the users. If they don't, they shouldn't be on the team. Stop trying to brand (laughs) problem solving as design thinking. Everyone on your team is doing it. It took me a while to get past that stuff. Gotcha. It, It just we brand these things so strongly and it means next to nothing. That stresses me out. (laughs) Did you get over that crisis of identity while you were at Figma? I would say that I did. Um, Once I started doing projects with other teams, um, I got to work on the Facebook iOS 10 UI kit. That was really fun. Um, I got to work on some video projects. Those were really exciting got to watch some of my favorite illustrators do their work and record it and share that with other people, which was probably the resource I wanted the most when I was coming up, like if I thought about it. Um, so that was really cool. Got to work with a bunch of friends, making a bunch of cool stuff. I got to work with maybe the best team, maybe? The Figma team is incredible. Like The Figma team is incredible. I have not worked with people I care about more personally or that this is unfair right now because I'm working with you and Max. <laughs> like, but prior to that, Oh, I'm taking note of all this prior to this that future blackmail. That team is incredible as people and as like at their craft. Okay. Both of those things, but they're also mind blowingly supportive of why you left. Yes. Why'd you leave? I left to start this, yeah. to start Spectrum, not mm-hmm. not design details. <laughs> <laughs> Spectrum, Podcast market's really booming. Spectrum was something I started thinking about a long time ago. What what do we deserve for a tool for communities? Yeah, um, It was something I thought about after we started our Slack team. Uh, we started talking about it informally like a long time ago. That's The name Spectrum is a super old name just as like an idea yep. that we... I mean, we'll probably have to get rid of the name because Time Warner Cable, but like... Damn you, Time Warner Cable. Um, we talked about it before I joined Figma. Yeah, Figma asked how they could support it before I was even a team member. Uh-huh. Um, when we talked about it as a replacement for designer news, they were like, how do, how do we help this thing? Um, they've been supportive all the way through. Uh, when I quit, Dylan's first question was, can I buy it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dylan's been very supportive. Yep. He's one of the best people I've ever worked with. Let's jump a little bit forward. So we've been working on Spectrum together for five-ish months. Mm -hmm. Uh, The three of us, you, me, and Max. Yep. What's the hardest part of your job? 
Managing time. How are you getting better at it? I don't have a choice but to. It's it's just a matter of doing it more and learning. Yeah. Like it's not a matter of like, oh, if I just use this task manager or oh, if I just schedule meetings in this way, it's more like, hey, I just have but to But maybe fucking... this to-do list will make me more productive. Yeah. <laughs> it's just more like, hey, you have to fucking get this done by this time, so go do it now. Um which it can be distracting because you're context switching a lot of the time. That's kind of the trade-off right now. But yeah. I find it's more valuable for me to be context switching and allow y'all not to have to. So that is why I do that. I, I hear it's called CEOing. CEOing. Please don't do that again. What's the hardest part of working with me? And slash or Max. I mean, Max is including all this. I'm just saying me because we're sitting in the same room together. So it feels a little bit more appropriate. Well, the hardest part with, of working with Max is an easy answer because he's in Austria. And it's hard to relate personally to someone you can't see often. Yeah. Um, Which is why we've been getting a ton of FaceTime when he travels here. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a core problem of the internet is you don't necessarily think about people as people. You think about them as their avatar or whatever it is. <laughs> <coughs> you are nothing but a 48-circle avatar to me. That's one thing you could say, I guess. Um, with you, it's interesting. We worked out a lot of our differences early on, which I'm very thankful for because at first I thought we wouldn't be friends outside of doing this thing, and I was frustrated by that now the hardest part is learning to present things in such a way that we can still be friends afterwards <laughs> this has never been my strong suit okay. i like to phrase things strongly yeah um i exaggerate a lot sometimes i feel comfortable doing that um i find that that hurts my arguments more often than not Huh. especially with you hmm. you always understate things you're very cautious to do so this is so i always feel like i have to preface a lot of conversations <laughs> huh and like be like oh shit 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 i'm talking to brian shit 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 like i can't huh. exaggerate to him because he already knows i don't know if that's good or bad feedback i think no i, th I think well, I you think have an inherent desire to be honest i think you take that to an extreme where you are cautious to say anything near the bounds of a statement yeah. i like to be like at the bounds and you like to be deep within where you're very confident very high like confidence interval I yeah i'd want to get to the point where i can interpret that a bit better i guess um we should have different uh, communication style i get very optimistic about a thing you just don't get as optimistic what was the most valuable thing you learned at Figma that you've brought over to what we're doing now? I learned a lot at Figma. Yeah. I think I learned how to always be in motion. My worst days were the ones where I sat at my computer um, because I was getting nothing done for anyone. I learned to go to meetings and spend time selling people and discovering what their actual needs were and focusing on those. I wouldn't say I'm the best at it, but I did learn about it. Um, 
that was really valuable. Like, I don't think I'd be as comfortable, like constantly being in meetings with people if I hadn't done that a lot at Figma. That, that's nothing I ever thought I would be good at or want to do, but now I actually quite enjoy it. It's funny how those things change. Yep. If you were going to go back and talk to your younger self, let's say when you were starting at Shop Savvy, what would you have wished you'd done differently in terms of being a designer, thinking about career progression, thinking about networking or technical ability or anything like that? What would you tell yourself to maybe adjust so that you, you think you would have ended up further by this point in time? I spent more time doing maintenance than creating new things. I've always been someone who really likes things to be organized. I spent more time on that than I should have. Um, it kind of feels now like I waste a lot of time waiting on other people to do things and drive things forward for me. And I shouldn't have done that. Um, yeah, I think that's like the main thing. So how would you rephrase that as like something to do? Don't don't wait on other people. Don't wait on other people. Yeah, and don't spend time main, doing maintenance work because no one sees that except for you. So it's basically lost time. Uh, what do you most like and dislike about yourself? I think that was actually the original question I wanted to ask, not what do you uh, dislike about me? I would say it's probably the same thing, and that's that I'm very direct, and I appreciate that a lot of the time, but I also regret it fairly often some of the time yeah huh okay do you think I, that's I've, because i've always made very quick judgments about people decisions really anything like it's just i think it's part of who i am and maybe that's from growing up kind of isolated okay. um i just like i didn't get much time with people so i just had to make judgments quickly based on single interactions okay um i had a lot of time to think about this but that's think something I feel both sometimes good about because I feel like I get it mostly right on the first try um, what I don't like about it is that I use that um, in context where I shouldn't What's I maybe an don't, example? I maybe don't give people as much benefit of the doubt as they deserve and I have always I think I talk about people too much you talk about people too much? Yep. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I feel like everyone could do better off by just talking about other people a little less. I feel you. I think the judgments are valuable to me, but not to other people. They're not worth sharing. Why do you keep doing this podcast? Because you make me. Yeah. Is that it? I think if it were me driving it, I would have stopped 207 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> actually yeah really yep. look at specifics that's it has two, two posts out oh huh. why do you Be think being responsible to someone else yeah. is a huge driver for me mm -hmm. same here i think this goes back to your self-motivated thing too like i see you drive things forward on all of our projects and that helps me motivate myself yeah i think that goes back to the momentum thing it seems like momentum will make or break and we have really good momentum yeah. If a junior designer came to you today and asked if they should join a startup like you did, or if they should try to go to a big company like a Facebook or Google or an Airbnb, 
what would you recommend them to do in terms of learning about design, becoming someone you know that's qualified in this field? If you want it to be extremely, extremely hard, but learn the most you can very quickly, go to a startup. It will be much harder on you. You will fail a bunch of times. It will be super, super difficult. If you want to learn in a more supportive environment where you can learn things more safely, go to a, a big company. Cool. With with a big design org. That's the important part. Is You should be working around more experienced designers than yourself. And if you want to complain about other people's design on Twitter, instead of actually like learning design, just go to like a agency or something. Oh, if you want to learn to do very pretty designs and how to really complain effectively about other people's design on Twitter, go to an agency. If you want to learn about shipping things, go to a company. <gasps> Throwing shade at agencies. They throw shade at themselves. <laughs> Shady boys. They write it for me. Shady up in here. The studio has cooled down. It's actually very warm in here. What's your spirit Pokemon? I mean, there's only a few spirit Pokemon. Are you referring to ghost Pokemon especially? I'm saying... What Pokemon am I? Let's say that you are in Hogsmeade and you're getting the soul sucked out of you by a Dementor. Dementor. Yeah. What's my Patronus Pokemon? You had to cast one Patronomon (laughs) to defend yourself. What is your Well, it's got to be a dark type because that would be strong against ghosts. Obviously. Um, Or fairy or psychic, right? Uh, I would accept any of those three types. Let's go with... Alakazam, just because. You like spoons. He's just got one more spoon than the previous version. <laughs> There's nothing special about him. He just has another spoon. Wait, really? Yeah. He doesn't have like a longer mustache or anything? I mean, he's slightly different, but he basically <laughs> just has another spoon. It's Shit, very funny. dude. Those spoons are powerful. Yeah, they're very good spoons. Powerful things. It's all special attack. We are rapidly approaching two hours. Uh, we like to end all of our shows by asking our guests... What keeps you up at night? I never asked you this. Nothing keeps me up at night. I fall asleep very quickly and I actually am not really worried about anything right now. What about you? Is that being the most honest self you can be? Yes. Recent occurrences have been very good to me. Does that that make any sense? You are happy with where you're at. I'm happy with where I'm at and where things are going and I don't have any major concerns which is weird because I don't have a paycheck right now we should fix that why (laughs) it would be nice to have a paycheck again oh I was gonna (laughs) say uh what's it been like going from paycheck boy to not paycheck boy uh I've been spending all my time fundraising yeah um the VC world is something new to learn did not switching from like a role in tech and making a paycheck to not making a paycheck, but getting to work on your own thing. Did that change the way you think about your own values and what you care about in your work? One, this is a very privileged conversation to be having at all. Obviously. Disclaimer. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think it just clarified things a bit more. Things that were hazy before have to be clear very quickly. There's just no time for indecision really. So uh, I just move faster. I'd rather... I, this is like very cliche, but like I'd rather fail quickly than like be okay for a long time. Oh my God. Did you read the Lean Startup? No. Oh, I did. You read books and I don't. Yeah, that's true. What about you? What keeps you up at night? 
I would expect far more things based on our conversations. I downloaded Kingdoms and Castles the other night. Yeah, me too. Holy hell. How much did you play? 40 some years. Dog. 200 years. Oh my God. I play at 3x speed though. No, I, yeah. So I turned on 3x speed like after I got the mechanics of it. What yeah. difficulty? Uh, The middle one? I did two of the middle one and then one of the left one. The Zen mode? Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, that one, I'm just trying to make the most beautiful kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I want to do that next. So Kingdoms and Castles is a fun game. 10 bucks on Steam. Uh, would recommend if you need to relax. Yeah. Which is why I, te- I texted Bryn. I said, is the game good? You said, it's good to relax. So I insta-purchased because I needed to relax. I want to play Northgard with you because it's very similar, but yeah, it's multiplayer. Cool. Um, I guess I would be lying if I said nothing keeps me up at night. How has fundraising been for you? I fall asleep quickly, but... I have also simultaneously been incredibly stressed. Yeah, I know. How's um, fundraising been for you? I know you know, but our listeners don't know. Uh, fundraising has sucked for me. Why? It's incredibly good. It's a good thing to learn about. And we've, we've had been pretty successful. Absolutely amazing conversations with uh, people that have given us great advice. So in that way, it's good. It's just for me felt Maybe like we, it's the one thing we have no control over. Hmm. We will influence it as much as we can, uh, but we have no control over if people think we have a shitty idea, then they're just going to say no and pass, pass, pass. Uh, if Versus, uh, I guess, more producty work. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a bug, fix it. There's a feature you want to build, build it. If you want to raise money, you have to go do X, Y, and Z and then like 20 meetings, convince other people that the thing should exist. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe that's been the most stressful part is that lack of control versus every other thing that we're building that we have a, a pretty okay degree of control over on the product surface. Um, is there something that offsets that to you? Is is there like a thing that reassures you? Yeah, I mean, the small wins. Like every time we get a yes, that's uh, reassurance. We get some good feedback on Twitter. Um, yeah, I guess that keeps me up at night a little bit. I would love for it to be done so we can move on and build the thing. My favorite thing is when someone is like concerned about market definition and then they try it for the first time and they're like, oh, okay, yeah. Like that is the best feeling in the world. I hope we're on the right track. Yep. So that's what keeps me up at night, I guess, is just uh, I I want as much momentum as possible and then to maintain that momentum and Fundraising is a momentum stopper. Fundraising is a momentum stopper, but probably uh, a necessity for for a company like ours with what we're trying to accomplish. If the podcast could be named anything else, what would it be? I don't know. We talked about this at first. I'm fine with design details. Yeah. I don't mind it. You are. The alliteration's good. fine. What would you name it? I should be better at this. <laughs> you would name it? No. Oh, I should be better at picking names. <laughs> it's not a bad name for the podcast. <laughs> I don't know. That's a hard question. We talked about it a lot at first, I think, but I've lost those text messages. Well, we're two hours into one of our lengthiest episodes of all time. Did we talk about ourselves enough? Yeah, uh, that was episode two hundred and nine. Thanks for listening. If you made Th- it this thanks far, thanks to us for hanging out. If you made it this far, my Atlanta, this was a long app. We've been doing a lot of long episodes lately. Long app. If you made it, uh, holy cannoli, let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter. Y'all uh, have been asking for this episode for a long time, so we finally. Some did it. people have been asking for it. 
and we hope literally everyone who has ever listened to we Fast hope you learned about us so that we never have to talk about us again yeah it was very uncomfortable yep so let us know what you thought we're on twitter at zen details fm or you can come chat in our spectrum community spectrum dot spectrum dot spectrum dot chat slash spec fm I'm before Sa- we i'm sean connery before <laughs> spectrum dot chat oh god now he started uh, that's tom brokaw never mind before we go a uh, huge thank you to our two sponsors that made this episode possible. Yeah, thanks, Shopify and Abstract. Shopify is hiring designers, content strategists, researchers. And designers. And designers. And UX leads. And UX leads. They want you to join them. They have offices all over Canada and here in San Francisco. Five whole cities in Canada. Who even knew there were that many cities? They are enabling small businesses and entrepreneurs all around the world to build great products and sell them online and offline and they want you to come help them do it. You should check them out at shopify.com slash careers. Of course, tell them we sent you. If you want to learn more about what their org is up to, what they're building, the way they think about the world, go to ux.shopify.com to check out some of their blog posts. A ton of amazing blog posts on their medium, and you should definitely read those. Our friend Meg writes a bunch of them. They're amazing about the value of uh, illustration in UX. Fuck, it's good. So if you're ready for your next thing, Shopify.com slash careers is the place to go. If you want to up your product game, go check out Abstract. Abstract is a design management platform for modern design teams. It's version control. It's that thing that we all love that GitHub does, but for design. It's a hub. It's a source of truth for all of your work for your entire team. Let's you all collaborate together without those pesky conflict file warnings, without overriding each other's work, without having to copy and move files all around your file system. You can work from a source of truth, and that is insanely valuable. And all of your edits, your iterations are saved over time. So if you make a mistake... And you probably did. You can get to your past work with just a click. You can also share with other people and work more effectively together. And isn't that really the whole thing? So if you want to do better work as a designer, as a team member, you can try Abstract for one month for free. If you go to goabstract.com... You can try the free trial while they're still in beta. Again, that's at goabstract.com. Thanks once again to Abstract. See you all next week.